Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Monica Rickard-Bolter. Monica Rickard-Bolter is a Chicago-based visual artist of Potawatomi and Black heritage. Her artwork uses traditional mediums, such as charcoal and pastels, graphic design, and digital coloring to create expressive characters and tell diverse stories. After her undergrad, Monica became involved with Native nonprofits, combining her love of art and education to develop youth programs and resources, including illustrating children's books. She advocates for cultural representation and serves as a consultant for various institutions and organizations. Monica is the co-founder and the director of operations at the Center of Native Futures, a Native fine arts gallery that opened in September of 2023 in Chicago. Currently, her artwork is featured in exhibitions at the National Museum of the American Indian, the Field Museum, and the University of North Carolina Stone Center. She also will be collaborating on a public art piece with the Beacon Hill Black Alliance for Human Rights. Back in August, I was uh, I was able to travel out to Chicago and to the, the Center for Native Futures and visit Monica. And during that conversation, I realized that she needed to be on this podcast uh, to to share her story with you uh, because it was just so exciting to be able to be in that space, listen to her story, and see the incredible work that they're doing there. So, uh, with that said. Let's jump to this interview with Monica Rickard-Bolter. Monica Rickard-Bolter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you. Oh, this is great. This is great. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and what it is that you do. Sure. Um, so like you said, uh, Monica Rickard-Bolter. I'm Prairie Band Potawatomi, Black and white. I I have an animation major, but I don't really do too much with it. Um, I still do a lot of stuff with art, but um, you know, I'm trying to find my way to kind of morph a little bit more of um, kind of the background that goes into what goes into creating an animation and then still presenting it in like a fine art form. So that's been very tricky, <laughs> but fun. And I feel like I've got, I've done that a little bit more in the past year. Um, but uh, so that's a little bit about that history. However, I am also a co-founder for Center for Native Futures, a new um, arts nonprofit in Chicago. And we really um, focus on supporting contemporary Native fine arts and, you know, pushing those limits and challenging people's perspectives on what uh, contemporary Native art is. So, um, yeah, it's the, the work that you're doing in the center is incredibly exciting. Um, I had visited you all, I think in, was it late August, I believe, or maybe yeah. September. It was a couple months back any which way. Um, mm-hmm. I was so excited to travel out there and to step into your space and you were so kind and gracious enough to give me a tour of the facility and to have those conversations. And uh, I wanted to thank you for that up front. It was a wonderful experience. Of course, of course. Yeah. my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it's also, and we'll get more into it um, 
later in the podcast, but it, it's definitely something that people around the nation are talking about and very excited for the space that you have there. So again, congratulations on, on getting this stood up and, and it, it going now. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long time coming and yeah, we had to, <laughs> we had to get into a lot of people's faces to make sure we could actually have a space. <laughs> like we have every right to be here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about uh, your influences. Who, who are your biggest influences uh, early on and what's influencing you today? Uh, influences. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose, like, with the traditional studying of um, different artists, like, I, I was a little bit more drawn to Hieronymus Bosch. I love just all the craziness <laughs> that was going on in those paintings while still, like, having, you could definitely see a story that was being told there. Um, but, you know, with these fantastical creatures and characters and stuff, and I'm just like, where is he getting this from? <laughs> Um, so I don't quite do that in my work, but I'm still like carrying on some of those elements and stuff have kind of um, sat with me over the years. But, you know, I, I really got into um, comic books and uh, animations. Like I, I love I love some of the new stuff that you're seeing, like in, into the Spider-Verse, like just showcasing all these different styles. Like I that's just one thing I've always been really drawn to. Like somebody had a unique style to their art, um, you know, and it wasn't always like this cookie cutter thing as going to school. That was definitely what they were trying to push for. They wanted like, okay, you're going to get a job at Pixar. If you are going to follow the animation route, like that's the main goal while like completely diminishing your own style. And I just, like, <laughs> that wasn't flying with me and didn't sit well. So um, you know, that there's, there's some different comics that I really loved, like this one woman, um, it's called like Lackadaisical, and it's like all these cats, but I've never seen anybody draw cats like this, <laughs> and it like all takes place like during the 1920s and 30s, and like they're gangster cats, <laughs> it's just like, it's really cool, cute, stylized, and I just found out that she's actually turning that into an animation, and so knowing that that took like over 10 years for her to actually get to that point, I'm like, okay, still just like holding on to that dream and keep fighting for that. Like, I love that. Um, let's see, who, who else? <laughs> um, you know, I, I've definitely been checking out some more native artists and, um, you know, I, like I love form line drawing <laughs> so much. <laughs> so uh, like Preston Singletary, like I love his glass um, art pieces. They're just so gorgeous. I don't understand how anybody does what they do with glass. <laughs> I, I would be too terrified that it'll explode or like I'll just drop it or something, something crazy will happen. Um, but uh, you know, just seeing you know what native contemporary native artists are doing with you know these old styles or old techniques, and you know really bringing a whole new life or new way to present these art forms has just been really awe inspiring and you know kind of helping me push myself like even more so than I realize or think that I should because <laughs> I, I mean it's it's always good to you know just keep exploring and keep you know just trying new things it's it's definitely been a gift moving into this space in the the gallery space to connect with uh with artists who are um maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise but yeah moving into the gallery space it's it's definitely widened my view of who's out there and I'm so impressed with with 
the work that people are doing and yeah, challenging my conceptions of, of what even comic art is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I love uh, Ryan Singer, how he incorporates like all the Star Wars themes and it's like really fun pop art. Um, and, but still like taking on like, okay, well, what if they were like in, on the res <laughs> and, you know, just hanging out and just doing basic everyday things. Um, you know, he, I remember interviewing him for Native News Online, and he actually made a really good point about um, Star Wars being the only sci-fi where it's like, everything looks lived in. Like, it's yeah. dirty and it's like used, and it's like, obviously, like, that's just everyday life. And, and thinking <laughs> back on all their sci-fi stuff, I'm like, yeah, everything else is really clean. <laughs> so, True, yeah. Like, no, people <laughs> had to salvage stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about, oh, what are these future concepts of, you know, different stuff. So I, I, I really like, um, yeah, when, I love it when people can point that stuff out. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about how you've developed your career, uh, both in college and post-college. Yeah, so college was an interesting experience, <laughs> to say the least. Um yeah, I, I I got into it a lot with my teachers because <laughs> I was trying to put a little bit too much of my culture and background into, um, you know, the artwork and how I presented myself. Like, I remember, I remember some student critique where, um, like, I was developing my signature and I actually wanted to incorporate the turtle. And I remember this kid saying like, oh, you probably don't want to use a turtle because then everybody will think you're just like really slow at getting your work done. Meanwhile, not understanding the cultural relevancy that turtles actually have. And plus, you know, I just love them. Like you're going to see a lot of turtle influences all throughout my artwork, <laughs> even in the signature. So, um, you know, that, that was just one thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, you can think that, but <laughs> I know why I want to use the turtle and I, you know, kept it going. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely, definitely a challenge and definitely made me think like, can I actually keep up with these students? Can I actually meet these deadlines? Cause then that kind of gets in your head and starts messing with you and thinking that, oh, is my artwork even going to be understood? And you know, is it worth it? Like, and then, then it goes, boils down to who's your audience, who are you doing this for? Um, so that was a hard lesson. I actually did take some time off of art for a while because there was also some personal issues going on. Um, and I, I, for a time I felt like I kind of had to protect my art and I didn't know what else to do with it. So after college, I didn't draw or much of anything for like probably a, a year or two. And then um, I ended up meeting uh, Deborah Yepa Papan and Chris Papan at a um, at this uh, it was a poetry event uh, with uh, Lise Passion, and it was just very eye opening. And um, it was kind of like a good wake up call, like just an unexpected meeting that turned into, hey, we have this writing workshop at the Title VII program that uh, Deborah was working at. And got to meet some Native community in Chicago and ended up working for the program and taking over the writing workshop. And then our friendship just, you know, kept you know, developing. And, um, you know, she she actually got me really thinking a little bit more like, well, 
what if you did try doing your culture and your artwork again, or, you know, tried to push it a little bit more. So I, mean, I was very grateful to, to have um, a friendship with her. So she's the other co-founder for Center. And I'm hoping that this will inspire more folks to like, yeah, get their stuff out there. Like if they have a buddy that they get along with that inspires them, you know, to get them motivated, it's like, go for that and run with that. <laughs> It's like a lot of the best work that comes out is when those buddies get together. Um, so, so after, you know, after I did start doing that a little bit more, um, you know, I went a little bit more into writing as well, but, um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to do more with art and get back to kind of the roots with, okay, animation or comics and different things. So, um, yeah, I ended up uh, getting some shows and then talking to some different art centers and like becoming part of a program, like a mentorship program. And yeah, it, it was just, it was really unbelievable. Like when I was actually able to really fully <laughs> process this and, um, you know, I was also getting commission work. Um, so there was a couple children's books that I ended up doing um, over, well, actually at the very start of the pandemic, I did two children's books actually laid out the books and illustrated everything. So that was a uh, journey of the freckled Indian by Alyssa London. And actually that was a collaborative process with uh, Preston Singletary. So he, um, he uh, incorporated some of his form line designs and like, okay, now just like, how would you, you know, illustrate this as characters and stuff. So that was a really fun challenge and um, yeah, a good, good way to, you know, kind of expand a little bit more. Um, and also I did, uh, uh, JW, the deaf drummer with Miles Hunt, um, who is a hearing impaired, uh, person, but, uh, you know, he was trying to like really showcase how, even though he is hearing impaired, he loves music. How does, how can he still feel the vibrations and how can you showcase that visually? Um, and, and I loved working with Miles cause actually, <laughs> got a D in color theory. So I did, I'd stayed away from color for a long time. So I was like, Oh no, I don't know what I'm doing here. And he's like, no, just give me all the color. <laughs> like, just make this as vibrant as possible. I was like, okay. Fine. And then ever since I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to keep punching it up. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Just like overcoming those fears. <laughs> don't let those people try to just discourage you like just keep going and just yeah do your thing <laughs> so what medium do you work in uh oh yeah <laughs> you might want to know that so i work in multiple mediums uh i love illustrator uh so working with vectors um i also do some work in uh in photoshop and pastels those are actually probably my favorite right now I'm really loving the feel of pastel and just, um, you know, the blending techniques and just, you know, it's very traditional, but they're also super temperamental. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's really easy to smudge or just, you know, things don't blend quite how you want. <laughs> um, and then also preserving, you know, the vibrancy of the pastels. So um, I purposely work on black paper to really punch out those colors and, um, you know, I end up, uh, combining that with um, in a Photoshop to do some digital enhancements to really like help preserve it. And recently I've been starting to print onto aluminum 
And that's also been like a really great method on keeping the colors, you know, potent and also just like easy enough to replicate. But, you know, it's also like, it's also expensive. So I'm not trying to do that many prints out there. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm definitely open to like, I, I kind of want to go a little bit more into sculpting. So there is some um, upcoming projects that may require that. So uh, I'm, yeah, definitely exploring, but yeah, mainly just, um, you know, 2D flat visuals is my main method. You know, opportunities present themselves in different ways throughout our careers. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, how do those, those opportunities uh, come to you or do you seek them? Uh, well, I, there's only certain ones that I really kind of go after, but a lot of the opportunities have just actually started coming to me um you know I'm 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 pretty personable (laughs) so people like working with me and you know hear that oh you can collaborate okay so you know that that has opened up some more doors um but you know I I think people also recognize that you know if I have an issue or um you know want to get a little bit more in depth on something like I I do that so um definitely into like good quality of work and you know whatever project i do sign on um generally it has something either to do with social justice or um you know uh, cultural representation also just kind of like those fun obscure things like i never thought to create a character who is deaf but also is a drummer and can you know um you know really just feel the music and just see life from his perspective um yeah, and, and you know we we are hoping that that storyline uh, could could turn into an animated series. Um, yeah, because I've known Miles since 2017 now, and yeah, he, he actually got um, a fellowship with uh, Netflix, so they have um, they have a, a handicapable program, and um, yeah, they're trying to push more representation, you know, for their different storylines. So I'm really hoping that that does end up, you know, taking off, and that could be something really fun to explore. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's great news on his end for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the pandemic hit, uh, you had worked on uh, those two projects. I imagine somewhere in there, maybe a little before, um, the discussions were happening about, uh, the center for native futures. Um, can you walk the, can you walk us through how that process started and how it, it came to fruition. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, Deborah and I had worked together uh, years ago, but then um, you know there was we, we ended up having to leave the Title Seven program. So um, you know we always just stayed in touch, and we knew that we wanted to like even before 2020, 2020 we had wanted to create some sort of nonprofit, and you know we were all kind of like looking for jobs. So me. Deborah and Patrick Del Percio, who is the other co-founder, we were trying to figure out, okay, what all needs to happen to make sure that this can even, you know, can even work out because none of us knew how to fill out <laughs> what forms to create a nonprofit or do we do for profit? And then, well, how do we get that starting money? And then it's like, okay, well, maybe the nonprofit might work <laughs> a little bit more. So, um, yeah, there was definitely some training that I ended up doing. Thankfully, my tribe was um, very helpful in uh, uh, getting me some like nonprofit leadership um, training program. And um, 
yeah, so Deborah ended up getting like a full-time job and so did Patrick. So, you know, we thought, okay, we're it's just on the back burner. And a couple years later, um, when the pandemic hit, we all started just reaching out and just checking in, do like a week check weekly check-in to make sure everybody was surviving and adjusting to this new way of life. But out of those conversations, then it was like, well, actually, we do know some more people. You know, I've actually served on the board of the American Indian Center. So, like, I had a little more perspective and idea of, you know, how to go about running a nonprofit or just, like, other elements that are necessary and, um, you know, making another connection. So uh, a buddy of ours, she ended up filling out all the forms and paperwork. And by the end of the year, we had our 501c3 status. So following, you know, early following year, we were like, okay, well, let's start doing some virtual programs. So, you know, and then it kind of just took off from there. And it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. Like the amount of growth, it all just felt like every year was completely different than the previous one. And it's still, it's still like that. So, um, you know, after doing all the virtual programs, and then um, participating in Expo Chicago. So that's um, an international art show at Navy Pier. Uh, so we participated in that for two years. So that was before we had our physical space and um, worked with various artists. Like some of the co-founders also had some of their artwork up there because um, it was more like an introduction. Like, this is who we are. We've been here in Chicago for a while now, you know, and, um, you know, trying to really highlight like there are artists here and um, not necessarily always feeling like, okay, you only can go to the Southwest or you have to go way up North or, you know, just like what, you know, Chicago is like the third largest city. So it's like, what the hell? <laughs> why aren't, <laughs> why are more, you know, native artists, you know, getting highlighted and featured. So that was like more of the push. And like, and then the more that we participated in things, you know, more you know, people started coming out and be like, hey, actually, I live out in the suburbs or, hey, I'm, I'm also do this kind of art and this and that. And it was like, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, this community started growing a little bit more and just, you know, this lovely Native arts community. So um, when we did finally get our space, I mean, people were just really pumped and excited. And, you know, we got a grant to do these summer pop ups. So it was kind of like a preview of this space before we actually had like all the artwork on the wall. And um, yeah, so that went really well. And yeah, as, as the pandemic's COVID's kind of dissipating, <laughs> you know, more people are coming out to events. Uh, actually, uh, after our opening, which we opening weekend, which we probably had about 300, three to 400 people like throughout the whole event coming in and out. Um, you know, a couple of weeks later, we, we participated in Open House Chicago and that was over 1,100 visitors. And those were just folks from random <laughs> all over. And wow. uh, yeah, inter- international guests and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming <laughs> in a good way, in the best possible way. So the the tour that you had given me that day uh, through the space there, um, mm-hmm. it was it was fascinating uh, because we're in the the, uh, the the open gallery space there with the white walls. I don't think much of the work had been uh, had been up yet, but I had also noticed that there um, is a artist residence space back there, and as well as um, there's a 
there's a space behind these doors where uh, there's an installation going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we definitely, when we created the space, we definitely wanted to make sure that we had artist studios. Um, unfortunately, like pricing was what it was <laughs> at the time. So mm-hmm. we could only do like one large studio, but we are hoping to expand that and um, possibly create some more. Um, but then also like right across from our storefront. So we're like on the store street level of the Marquette building. And then in, um, in the atrium, like past the lobby area, there will be a, um, an installation that is co-curated by Andrea Carlson, one of our co-founders and, uh, John Lau, who is a Potawatomi scholar. And they're going to, it, it is like on the, um, on the partition right now, it does say like this is an intervention because uh, Marquette Building has a very problematic mural, and it's a national ga- it's a national monument or not monument landmark. So you know there only is so much that they can actually do with the space, but they do understand like the Marquette, um, the MacArthur Foundation, which owns the Marquette Building, recognize that something's problematic here. This doesn't necessarily represent you know. Um, how native people in the woodland area looked because it looks more plains like and um you know just it's very eurocentric <laughs> with the narrative mm-hmm. so and making yeah. it seem like oh it was so lovey dovey and la 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 and it's like mm, was it <laughs> or was it was that storyline really what it was so mm-hmm. um the intervention does address you know the history of of um of the area and a little bit more in depth into like Potawatomi culture, which was probably like the most predominant um, tribe that was around. But, you know, Chicago is home to so many other, you know, native folks, you know, Sac and Fox, Oneida, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Odawa, Ojibwe, you know, because people just were migrating. (laughs) People were constantly traveling. Like it was a hub, you know, back in the day. So, um, you know, and, and then just to say that, oh, this Jesuit priest discovered the Chicago River. And it's like, with all the people that were around, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> but that, that, that exhibition should open in um, April 2024. Um, okay. So in the meantime, you know, we, we definitely encourage people to, like, if they have seen the lobby or in you know, check that out, but also to come and check out our space center because, you know, we're actually able to tell our stories and, you know, showcase this is how we want to be viewed and, you know, what matters to us in our, you know, telling our different cultural stories. So what would you want to say to the 18 to 22 year old listening to this conversation? It won't be what you think. And that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I know it's very cliche, but it's really don't give up. You're going to come across a lot of disappointment, a lot of things that'll make you question your actions and is this the right path? Um, and you kind of just have to trust that experience. I mean, it's all part of it. You know, there, there's, um, things that end up happening that you don't even realize that is going to help shape who you are and, you know, how you handle things. So, um, you know, just also just find those buddies, 
that you know that you, you know you like working with that keep you inspired um you know and keep your head above water because yeah i mean it, it can get tough out there but you know if you if you have if you have that good support network and even if you're just like okay well i gotta create it <laughs> like do it if you can do it you know so it, it'll it'll be okay <laughs> you gotta keep telling yourself that it'll be okay I love that answer. That the that first part was I've never heard someone respond reply like that before, and that's great. <laughs> and it's so accurate. It's so accurate. You can't plan this out. <laughs> I know. Like we always try to plan as much as we can, and it's like, oh no, no, go in the flow. <laughs> Gotta go. You have to. So you have to, otherwise, yeah, you drive yourself nuts. Uh, a question that that sort of popped up as we were talking here um was this is maybe for the the administrators that are listening to this so many of us um in this field and the type of work that we do are artists as well as you know administrators and um uh, gallery owners how how do you balance your your artistic work life with your the the day job the the all, with all that time that that takes up where, where do you i guess how does that how do you make that work for yourself uh well so i am a workaholic <laughs> and i know that i need to actually carve out that time where it's just like nope this is just for your art and um you know we've actually tried to do that with center um like putting in our employee guidelines is that you know you have to create art you have to take time off to do your own work uh, or just like if you need just that rest that time to think because you know why else are we doing this and um you know for those arts admin folks that that are artists like yeah make sure you take that time where you can just be like no this is for me and recognize that that is important and you should have your artwork out there i mean you also have a very unique perspective when it's like well i know what an artist needs because i've been there you know and then how can you help that and incorporate that into your own um you know daily practices at work and whatnot so um yeah i i think I think it is just like carving out that time. Um, you know, we, we've also, we've started doing this uh, no nonsense November. <laughs> We're doing a test run to see um, because we always, native people always get asked, can you do this event? Can you do this speaking? And, you know, and all of it's like last minute. And it's like, we've been native all year round. <laughs> so, you know, you can talk to us like, in different months like it's fine and it doesn't always have to land on november so um our artist and resident noel garcia she dubbed it no nonsense november programs <laughs> where it's just for like native community and artists to come together and just you know like if they want to create go create like we we had an art and sip workshop um you know last week and it was really fun like there was just yeah, we just bought a bunch of art supplies and it's like, go nuts. <laughs> like, if you want to work on a canvas, go work on a canvas. You want to play with some markers, go play with some markers, you know, and just, you know, whatever is going to come out of that. So we're hoping that that'll be something like even your know, future programs that that can just be like, 
hey, if we do that once a month and even offer that or offer it for a weekend or two, like that could just be that kind of other outlet for people. Because sometimes it's it's nice having other people around when you create art, not so much all the time. But, um, <laughs> you know, because I, I tend to be one of those people that's like, okay, just give me in a, in a tiny room and then I'll, I got it. <laughs> Like so, so I can go through all the way. Like, ah, it sucks. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's good. <laughs> like, you just gotta keep pushing past all the, all the crappy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you have going on right now? What's coming up for you? Well, uh, so right now I have. Um, what do I have? Yes. <laughs> I'm working with um, this group in uh, Georgia, uh, Beacon Hill community, and uh, they they were able to take down a Confederate statue and hoping to do something, something with it. Um, And then, you know, just also talk about the history of the land, because when it all boils down to like whatever people want to say, like, oh, well, this story's not getting highlighted, this narrative isn't getting highlighted, well, then let's focus on the land. Who were all the people that helped influence it? Who were the people that helped steward and shape and how the community grew and everything? So, and particularly we're focusing on um, black and indigenous perspectives. So uh, that should be hopefully next spring uh, and creating some sort of new monument that will really just highlight, um, you know, what, what, um, the Muskogee folks down down in Georgia and their influence, as well as the freedmen. And, you know, it's like there's uncomfortable conversations that need to happen because either people don't know the history or don't want to address it. But, you know, these are everyday issues that, you know, folks are dealing with and trying to figure out like their place. So, you know, I, I, I'm always a big supporter of Afro-Indigenous folks and, you know, really pushing out those storylines because, you know, they, they happen more than, you know, people want to either admit or acknowledge. So um, that that's one piece. So I'm also um, collaborating with um, Melanin Muskogee. Uh, so she's, if you've seen her on um, Instagram, you know, she's, she's got these great takes on just like scholarly takes on like what, how to interpret society or just like what's going on, you know, in the space of every day. And um, yeah, yeah, I just love, love working with Amber. Anyway, um, uh, and then uh, the Public Housing Museum here in Chicago, that should be opening next year. And um, they want my brother and I, so we are collaborating on a piece that will focus on Kitihawa and Dusabo. Um, so for those who don't know, um, Kitihawa was a Potawatomi woman who ended up marrying Jean-Baptiste Pointe du Sable, um, a French-Haitian uh, trader who ended up coming up the river and uh, settling in, um, in Chicago. Uh, but, you know, he couldn't really do or open up this big trade route uh, to, like, Western, you know, folks without uh, Kitty Hollis' help and just kind of, like, their vision for what Chicago could be which, you know, the more I hear about them, which there isn't a lot of documentation on their storyline, but um, the more I do find out, it does sound like a real love story and like an actual true partnership where, you know, like each of them, you know, work together to actually help create, you know, this whole whole other side of a trading route. So 
Um, <clears throat> so that's coming up. <laughs> um, and I think there's any other big ones. No, just a lot of Center for Native Future stuff. <laughs> right on, right on. So where can the listener find your work? They can find my work at, uh, well, currently I have something until beginning of December, like December 6th, 7th-ish at University of North Carolina at the Stone Center. It was my first curatorial debut. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was very nervous about that. And it was a quick turnaround, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Paige Pettibon uh, and Sarla Thompson are also featured in, they have some works featured in the exhibition called Love Expressions. Um, you know, our, our main emphasis on like, creating that one is how do, like we come from these mixed um, identity and these backgrounds and how, I, like, I don't always want to focus on just like the trauma aspects of what happened to Black people, what happened to Native people. There had to have been those stories, those things that kept us going for the next generation, that kept that hope alive and, you know, that support. And I, I love Paige's take because she ended up creating like four new pieces for, for um, the exhibition. And it was during a time when she was feeling a lot of lateral violence. And, you know, it was like when she didn't necessarily feel that love, but how could she still express that? So I, I loved, you know, her abstract take and, you know, some of the paintings that she ended up doing. Um, Starla, uh, you know, she went into the importance of jingle dress and, you know, why she, she uh, dances in ceremony and, you know, keeps that tradition alive and creating her own regalia. Um, also on loan from her son is his Mickey Mouse medallion <laughs> on display. <laughs> Uh, and um, yeah, I kind of like expanded a little bit more on my um, my hair story series, which you know the first one you can actually see with ancestors know who we are. It was um, um, a virtual virtual exhibition for um, NMAI, and it was all about Afro Indigenous perspectives um, and just how you know we relate <laughs> and incorporate you know these different cultural backgrounds into our artwork and uh, hair stories is, I thought that was like such a great connector because everybody has something <laughs> to share about their hair and, you know, what it actually means to them and how that can actually have cultural significance. So, um, so I, I did the second piece for um, the love expressions and it's called the big chop. And that focuses on my little cousin who she didn't want to go to school with a perm, so she chopped off all of her hair and then grew out natural. And I love it. It's so long and beautiful and gorgeous. And I hope more people, you know, kind of embrace that. Um, like, I know that, that can also seem like a political statement, but it's also just like, it's a human thing, you know, where it's just like, you're just embracing who you are and, you know, what natural comes natural. So, um uh, my work is also on display at the Field Museum, uh, part of Native Truths. I have three installations there. Um, one is a mural about the Great Lakes and if they were personified and how they would discuss the human problem. <laughs> and then uh, there's also a collaborative piece I did with uh, Kai Manosh Pyle, who is a trans uh, Ojibwe poet. And uh, it tells the story of Ralph Carineo um, born Cora Anderson, but identified as, um, as Ralph. 
And that all took place in like early 1900s. And it's still like very relevant today because you can still see a lot of the same aspects and the same things that are playing out and just seeing how, okay, society, (laughs) we got to, you know, not bury these stories. We got to tell and share these stories. Um, And then I also have um, Turtle Island is another mural that I did. And I, how could I say no to a turtle? (laughs) What? Uh, yeah, that's where you can okay. see some of my work. Also at the center, <laughs> I do have one piece. Yeah, in the gallery. Okay, okay. right on. Yeah. And also to your website too. Um, the, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for the guests to check out your website. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah and check out the children's books. <laughs> yes, they're really good, and they, you know, they they discuss some hard hitting issues and like how do you talk about blood quantum with the little kids. And, like and is that sustainable like yeah like we got to start talking about these things so yes yes yeah monica thank you so much for your time and being on this podcast this was really great to have you here well thank you so much for having me it was it was really fun and yeah i hope that was helpful (laughs) learning a little bit more about me Uh, I look forward to the next time I stop in Chicago and connecting with you again. This It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, please do. And please come out and see the space and see how folks can get involved or participate. Or, you know, maybe we can even have you do a live podcast. <laughs> Ooh. I like that. I like that. Right at the storefront, I'll be uh, what's the Chris from <laughs> Uh, Northern Exposure. He had his radio show right at the window there. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Monica again for her time and sharing her story with us. Like I said in the intro, uh, I'm just so grateful that I was able to go out to Chicago and visit the Center for Native Futures uh, with Monica that day. And I knew immediately that I needed to get both her and Deborah onto the podcast and, and share their not just their stories, uh, but also what this place is. I really feel that this is going to be an incredible experience uh, for everyone involved. So, um, yes, if you're in the Chicago area, go out there, check out their center, support the work that they're doing, and um, make contact with them. Um, there's incredible opportunities ahead for everyone involved. I'm just so excited for the work that they are creating out there. So, and that said, you know, uh, Monica, like myself, like so many of us, uh, not only are we administrators and directors and uh, people that are running programs, but we're also artists too. So check out her work. It's incredible work. Support her and, uh, you know, um, just uh, just experience all that that's going on out there. So, Monica, thank you, and I will see you in Chicago soon, along with the crew out there. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next time as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, on our Instagram, across social media, and uh, yeah, look us up at, at uh, Five Plain Questions. Um, just type that in, and you'll find us. You can also find us on the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. Well, that does it. You take care, and we will see you next time.
This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.